Hello, and welcome to the Sound on Sound People and Music Industry podcast with me, Sam Ingalls. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Aki Makivirtun of Genelec in Finland. Welcome, Aki. Thank you. I wonder if we could start by finding out a little bit about you. What, what's your role at Genelec? I'm head of R&D, so I'm responsible for all new product designs running the projects and uh, getting things done uh, in R&D section. Excellent. So in this podcast, we're going to be focusing on an area that's been a, a major sort of area of development for Genelec and for loudspeaker companies generally in recent years, and that's immersive audio. Now, I think a lot of our listeners will be familiar with older surround formats such as 5.1 and Quad. Could you briefly explain What's different about modern immersive audio formats from those older formats? Yeah, the main difference actually is that uh, the older formats basically mostly give you audio at one level. If you think of height, you know, there's there's one layer, and that layer is usually located at the ear height. So basically, what immersive audio ba- gives you, in addition to the, that, is uh, the sensation of the height dimension much more than what you used to be able to get uh, from the earlier formats. Maybe um, apart from Quadrophony, but Quadrophony had a challenge that it was mainly a a single-person system. So one person could experience um, the space. But uh, the difference from that to the current-day immersive formats is that immersive formats are able to be enjoyed by more than one person at the time. And uh, that is mainly determined by the, the loudspeaker density or channel density that you you uh, use for creating the recording. In other words, in a loudspeaker-based immersive uh, monitoring system, the more loudspeakers, the better. Yes, um, this p- uh, particularly can be done with object-based formats more than channel-based formats. And that's where the world is going these days, that you see more and more object-based formats uh, turn up. Because those have the additional capacity to render audio at the time of presentation. And that is the key to actually being able to cover uh, an arbitrary number of loudspeakers or you have the possibility of increasing the loudspeaker density at the time of presentation so that you can cater a a wider audience reasonably well. I guess one of the other key benefits of these modern immersive formats is that they are scalable across different loudspeaker arrays. You don't have, in the old channel-based formats like 5.1, you had to have Five speakers and a subwoofer otherwise you couldn't really play it back exactly yes and that's that's why i would like to talk about loudspeaker density instead of talking about number of loudspeakers and number of channels because now with the the capability of using rendering you can actually decide how many loudspeakers let's say for square meter you want to have and uh, that gives you certain benefits and is there a minimum loudspeaker density that you think is is necessary in order to work effectively with these formats? That depends on uh, how much uh, kind of positional distortion you allow in at the time of presentation. So if you have only one listener, you can pretty much have a fairly low density because you know more or less where that listener is going to be located. But if you have 
more than one if you have an audience. So apart from the house owner, you also have some relatives sitting on the same sofa. Then you have an area that you want to be able to cover uh, for the presentation. And this means that then you have to exploit the fact that uh, people can locate uh, the physical loudspeakers exactly where they are, irrespective of uh, where people are seated in the room. Whereas, uh, like it is for most uh, audio presentations, you are actually creating virtual sound images between the loudspeakers using two or three or more loudspeakers together to create the virtual image in thin air. Then this virtual image in thin air is going to move immediately when the listener is moving but it's going to stop moving uh, at the real loudspeaker. So by increasing the loudspeaker density, you can adjust the position of presentation for everybody in the room, even for large audiences. So with a low loudspeaker density, you are in effect reliant on something akin to what we used to call the phantom center in a stereo setup. But whereas the more speakers you add, the more you're able to locate things directly to a speaker. In a sense, in uh, it would be fair to say that in all cases, in all all situations, you are still relying on the phantom images. But the question is how much the phantom image can move, given that the listeners are moving. So um, if you have a higher loudspeaker density, then the, the any phantom image can move less relative to the listener. So you have less distortion appearing. You will have distortion for off-axis listeners, but uh, it, it will be less noticeable. I think one of the things that probably puts a lot of people off diving into setting up an immersive rig, besides the cost, is the sheer complexity or apparent complexity of the process and of setting up and of the fact that a space that might be okay and for two speakers could also be problematic for more speakers. Now, at Genelet, you've done a lot of work into addressing these problems, uh, a lot of it through your GLM speaker management system. Can you explain a little bit about how that works? Yes, the uh, main problem with immersive loudspeaker layouts is that uh, you have high difficulties in placing the loudspeakers in acoustically similar environments for all, all the different loudspeakers and different channels that you want to have in the room. For example, some loudspeakers would be close to the ceiling, some would be far away from the ceiling, some would be close to the sidewall, and some may be far away from the sidewall, depending on where the main uh, listening position is located in the room. And in that situation, what happens is that you will have spectral differences between loudspeakers. And unless you take steps to equalize the effects that the room creates on the loudspeakers, then you will have very uneven presentation of the, the total sound and uh, in order to, to solve this issue, we are providing an automatic tool that uh, is able to take precise measurements of the frequency response for every single loudspeaker in the room and then to compensate each one of those individually so that they become as flat as possible, as neutral as possible. Uh, so irrespective of the location, you get better mapping of the sound uh, after that process. So as the user, this is a, a process I can do myself once I've got the speakers fixed to their positions. It's not something I need to get a consultant in to come and do for me. Yeah, absolutely. And it takes you a couple of minutes. Uh, we tried uh, today equalizing um, 
a 7.1.4 system and it took us how much, maybe 5-10 five, five, minutes to work through automatically the whole system gets the frequency responses compensated, times of flight adjusted and levels aligned. So the whole thing is properly calibrated for accurate monitoring after that. So which qualities are key to ensuring that the immersive effect is comes across properly in a monitoring system? In uh, Well, there are um, a number of items, so and, and they are all basically familiar to us. So we obviously all know about the level difference between loudspeakers that is able to move your virtual sound image. So we use this in form of level panning in mixing consoles, so that the level difference is one obvious source of uh, distortion. The other one would be timing distortion. So if the time it takes for audio to fly from uh, one loudspeaker is different from uh, the time it takes for audio to fly from another loudspeaker and you use, the, you use these as a stereo pair, then again you would have shifting or moving of the virtual sound images. So th these are fairly straightforward and easy to understand, but you would get a more complex effect if you have a frequency-dependent level variation that is different between the two loudspeakers. In other words, the frequency responses from your left and right would be different. You would get a frequency-specific moving of the virtual sound image. That's pretty complex and it can make your audio images fuzzy or not, not well-focused. Uh, on top of that, you could have even time domain related inaccuracy. In other words, if you are not using the same loudspeaker type for the left and right loudspeakers, then you would get timing differences that are frequency specific. Again, uh, you would have complex uh, changes to how your virtual sound image is being created. It becomes less focused and uh, you would lose accuracy in monitoring. So so you have all, all of these different effects. Some of these are easier to compensate for. Some of, some of these are more difficult to compensate for. And uh, the easy formula to apply would be to always use the same loudspeaker model and make for the left and the right loudspeaker in your pair of loudspeakers. Or if you're having an immersive system, if you can, it would be a good idea to use to have all the loudspeakers of the same type. Most of the time, this may not be possible because you are you have some, um, for example, space constraints or some some other factors like this that are affecting your choice of loudspeakers. Uh, in that case, uh, it would be a good idea to select loudspeakers that have similar performance. They have neutral frequency response. They have uh, constant time delay through the loudspeaker and use those to build your system. Even after that, it's always a good idea to take care that you adjust the levels to be the same from all loudspeakers to the listening position and that you adjust the times of flight to be the same from all loudspeakers. And if your room is giving you these kind of spectral effects uh, that are, are specific to each loudspeaker, then it would be a good idea to compensate for those as well. So immersive audio is already pretty well established in cinema, in some areas of broadcast and in gaming. Immersive music mixing is perhaps a newer thing, although we're seeing a major push on it at the moment from companies like Apple. Are there any particular considerations that apply 
when you're thinking about immersive audio for music mixing, or is it exactly the same as those other use cases? Um, in in principle, for for immersive music, then you want to understand about the delivery channel to the end user, and you want to understand how your recording is going to be treated. You want to be adhering to the standard that is being applied. So, if, for example, you have a specific standard loudspeaker layout that uh, that you're supposed to use, then it's a very good idea to stick to that. Make sure that that you follow that standard, and uh, then if it's possible, sometimes it is, it's always a good idea to check how your delivery channel is going to change the product that you're creating. So if there are going to be some changes for whatever reason, there could be coding, there could be things like this that can change how your recording appears, then it's a good idea to try and understand that effect as much as possible. So if there's any possibility, for instance, that your immersive mix will be folded down to stereo in some circumstances, it's important to check that it's going to sound okay when that happens. Absolutely. If it's possible, you know, if you can do this, then it would be a very good idea because then if there's anything you can do in your immersive mix to make sure that this folding is happening successfully and you get the artistic impression that you want to have in the, the down-mixed stereo output, then it's a very good idea to try and understand how this is going to work for you. And of course, the consumption of immersive music predominantly is taking place on headphones rather than in speaker systems, whereas I would imagine that most of the actual mixing is taking place on speaker-based immersive setup. That can seem like quite a big gap to bridge. You've got this potential translation issue between the two formats uh, but at Genelec you've developed a system called Aural ID which is designed to help bridge that gap. Perhaps you could explain a little bit about what that is and how it works. Yes Aural ID is basically a method of, of uh, acquiring your own uh, way of hearing audio. So, so what we do is we capture your head related transfer function. This is what happens to audio depending on the direction of arrival to your ears. And then we offer this in a form where it can be used for processing audio for headphone-based monitoring so that uh, you gain accuracy and uh, you gain important qualities in uh, monitoring over headphones. One of these is, is the fact that instead of hearing audio inside your head, and you have the possibility of experiencing sound externalized out of your head and much more in a normal position where you would expect the sound to come from relative to you. One of the key uh, elements of this system that you've developed is a, a new way of measuring head-related transfer functions. Um, for those of you who don't know what a head-related transfer function is, it's basically a set of impulse responses that describes the physical the impact of the physical shape of your head, your ear, your torso. And until recently, that could only really be measured by actually putting microphones in your ears and recording test tones. But you've come up with a new system that does this visually. Can you tell us a little bit about how that works? Yes, it's a, it's a two-step process, basically. So the first step is that uh, we collect a video around you. And uh, so this means that we get a sequence of images that are linked together so that uh, the direction of looking at you is uh, slowly changing when we are working our way around you. 
And then we can use this set of uh, images to create your shape. And we this the method that you use for this is called photogrammetry. And basically photogrammetry can calculate the shape that gives all these different images. And once we have your shape, then we can use standard uh, physics to understand what kind of sound field effects your shape will have. And that's what we do next. That's the second step. We actually calculate the sound field around you. And uh, that results in uh, us being able to extract these impulse responses from all the different directions around you that are going to be delivered in, in the oral ID. And then within the oral ID plugin, you can actually synthesize almost any theoretical monitoring environment. Yes. So basically what we can do with oral ID plugin is to use this information inside oral ID, your personal head related transfer function. And we can use this so that we can create virtual monitors. And uh, the way to use the virtual monitors, for example, would be that if you know that uh, in your real monitoring setup, you would need monitors in certain uh, directions relative to you, then we do the same in the virtual environments. We create the virtual monitors at the same directions relative to you, and you can experience, therefore, the same presentation as you would be able to do over real uh, monitoring loudspeakers. So for you, the, the primary use case is someone who has a speaker-based immersive rig but also wants to be able to perhaps check mixes on their laptop or do some work on the road. Yeah, first I would say that uh, we are aiming at professionals, so people who are creating audio recordings and who are working with audio recordings. So we try to create a, a tool that is able to deliver the accuracy that is needed for this level of working. So there's a, now a difference between consuming audio and creating audio here, that uh, we are not so much aiming at consuming audio, but uh, aiming to create the tool that is actually going to be uh, incre uh, increasing the efficiency of the professional working to create audio presentations. But this is not something you'd advocate as a as a complete substitute for a speaker-based system? Uh, most likely not, because the, it's very difficult to completely replace uh, the confidence of being able to monitor over a loudspeaker-based monitoring system. I would rather say that this can be a very good addition to the tool set that is available to professionals. But if, say, I have my system configured for Atmos and I need to produce a mix that's going out to another standard which has different speaker placement um, sort of specifications, I could do that, load up that standard in the Oral ID plugin and just check that actually my mix still sounds okay, even though speakers are over there in this case. Yes, uh, this this is possible. Uh, and uh, you obviously have much more flexibility with uh, this kind of virtual approach to creating a monitoring system over a physical approach, because for physical approach, you actually have to have the loudspeakers at the directions where you need them. I've come across several other products that appear similar on the surface, and something that a lot of them do is to actually model the acoustics of a control room. Uh, but you're, you've chosen not to take that path with Oral ID. Why? 
Well, the main reason is that uh, there's a fine line between providing um, a system that is able to externalize audio for the listener and uh, creating uh, a space simulation that is going to interfere with uh, the recorded space in the mix. And we try to avoid uh, kind of overdoing this, if you like, so that we wouldn't create uh, distracting cues for the professional, but we would keep things very uh, clean and neutral and just provide the essential uh, function that we need here. The essential function is related to this individual's way of hearing audio that is um, embedded in the information that we have in the HRTF contained in oral ID. And uh, we are not trying to create a a synthetic space, if you like. We are are trying to create the acoustics of the person who is listening to the audio recording. So with GLM and oral ID, and that's a pretty interesting and powerful response to the needs of people working in a more immersive audio. Um, has it impacted your research work in other ways too? Well, this naturally uh, teaches us a lot about how people hear audio. So, so all the work that we are doing here is very educational for us. And uh, I think it's important for us to engage in this type of work because it can enhance our understanding of how people process audio how people experience audio. Uh, if we were just concentrating on the loudspeaker and the design of the loudspeaker, that would be like half of the job of understanding how loudspeakers work. The other half is with the receiving end, that's with the listener. So it's actually very good that we are building some depth depth in understanding how um, how individuals uh, work to decode the content in audio signals because that that will ultimately I think uh, improve our understanding of how we should also design the loudspeakers in the end anyway well thank you Aki this has been absolutely fascinating if I could just ask you one last question where do you see all this going in the future what direction will immersive audio take for people working in studios I think one of the kind of basic properties potentially available with immersive audio is a more perfect experience of real sound space. And that is something that really has not, we haven't been able to deliver that in stereophonic reproduction. I mean, there is a bit of space, a bit of depth that you experience, but I think we can all agree that this is not very close to what you experience in real life. Then we, we come to the one layer, single layer surround systems. They give us direction much more than what you can do with stereophonic systems, but they are still lacking in presentation of the space. I think what the immersive formats are giving us is the first time to come relatively close to being able to represent something of a, an acoustic space, something that's actually very natural to us and something that we are looking for and ultimately something that our reproduction system should be able to do is to put us inside the acoustic space and give us the full experience. And that's that's what we are kind of working towards at the moment. So it's almost as though the end goal is to create 
an experience that's indistinguishable from experiencing that sound as it originally would have been heard without any reproduction system. Well, it could be that, but it could also be an artistic aim. However, the in terms of the quality of presentation, we should be able to come as close to perfection as possible. Now, whether whether what you actually put in terms of content into that kind of presentation would be more or less synthetic or, or actually recorded somewhere, that's that's another matter. But in terms of technical presentation, we should get as close to perfection as possible. Well... I hope one day we'll be able to present our podcasts in a format that will sound like we're in the room with the listener. <laughs> Thank you so much, Aki. It's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. And be sure to check out the show notes page for this episode, where you'll find further information along with web links and details of all the other episodes. And just before you go, let me point you to the soundonsound.com forward slash podcasts website page, where you can explore what's playing on our other channels. Oh, 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 oh,